Hello! Welcome to Free Will, Science, and Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs, and I'm here with George Ortega, and we're going to talk about people's emotional biases, their emotional need to believe certain things, and how what people believe has a lot more to do with their emotions, how it makes them feel to believe a certain thing, rather than, you know, an unbiased or objective um, examination of the facts. Um, and, and I think this applies to many things. Um, it applies to all sorts of, all sorts of religious belief. It applies to um, people's resistance to certain new scientific discoveries. But the free will belief, um, no subject can it possibly apply more to because a lot of people are raised with the idea that, you know, your choices are what make you who you are. That, and so they get into this thinking that, well, if I'm not in control of my life and that it, my choices, um, you know, I'm not, that I can't take credit for that, then they're like, well, what's the point of life? Because some pe a lot of people, life is all about choice. You take that away and then they, they feel like life's not worth living. And so um, we, we're going to talk about, you know, what do people need to hear? How can, we, um, how can we explain how the message of no free will, um, um, you know, is actually helpful? It helps you emotionally besides being, you know, observably and true. Um, you know, because I, I think, yeah, this is a big problem for a lot of people. Um, and one thing is, you know, the, there are some people who say, well, since those people get their meaning out of that, that we should just let them believe in free will. Um, some people might say that, but there's one little problem. Those people suffer from the free will belief more than they possibly know. Not only because they blame themselves um, and feel all this shame and guilt over mistakes they've made, but because they're blaming other people, it hurts their relationships with those other people. And so we have to, I guess, explain to our audience how this helps people on a very personal level in, in how you treat everyone and, you, and can make your life happier overall. All right, so yeah, let's start off with the, the idea of self-identity. People have been conditioned, raised to believe that they, of their own free will, choose what they choose, and they like that sense of control. So like one message I think we can try to deliver to them that might help them overcome this lack of control, this, you know, this truth-based lack of control, is to kind of like... For, for theists, it's, it's a bit easier in a certain sense, but again, it's into complications. We actually spoke about it in the last episode. But for theists, we could say to these people, well, you know, like, you don't manifest your will, you manifest God's will. In other words, like, for example, if somebody was called up someday, you know, like, um, and, and asked by President Obama to like, you know, listen, I want you, today I want you to do this, and then, you know, I want you to do that and that that person would probably feel like they had more meaning during that day than other days when they're like basically just doing whatever they want. So like, so now like, imagine like they're believing that they're actually doing what God wants. Again, like the problem with that, of course, is then, then like, 
that would lead to people like saying to themselves, well, wait a minute, that means I have to blame God for my, for my evil. And again, we need to address that. But I think in general, in, in, in a sense of like basic control and an identity, if we, if we explain to, to theists that they're doing God's will, I think that might be palatable to them. Yeah, um, for some of them that might work because I guess some of them might say, well, you know, yeah, I'm doing God's will and they may have a belief that God is good um, and that everything will work out eventually somehow, that there's a greater good or purpose behind it. And for some people that seems to work and makes them feel better. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I, I don't really find that that too satisfying, obviously. But then again, I'm I don't believe in God either. So, but we've got to have find something that helps people, uh, where they have something else you might say to ground their life's purpose in. Because a lot of people they need to feel like there's a certain meaning or purpose to their life. I guess. We're getting into the deep psychology of the meaning of life and what makes All right, so essentially, you know, we, um, Basically, you're right. So, like, in, in, for people that are not theists, who don't believe in God, who believe in science, then I th think, yes, I think we have a respect for nature. I think we have a respect for the universe. That the universe, like, you know, basically has these laws of motion, these, these physical laws, and there's an awesomeness to the universe. So, we're in this sense, then we'd be replacing God with the universe. We're no longer doing our will as insignificant little people on a little planet, you know, in, in one of billions of galaxies. In a more general, accurate sense, we're doing the will of the universe. That might resonate well with people. Yeah, I think in a sense that totally could. Um... Now, like, you know, for me, I think of myself as just part of this big puzzle of the universe and that I'm, I'm one form of life just like every other animal and even the plants, you know, that grows and changes and adapts, evolves, you know. And I think that's cool. I mean, I find this whole worldview very appealing and it's cool. So with me i i feel like i found meaning in the universe and the experience of life and there's plenty to enjoy even while i realize that i'm not the first causer of things but basically this is a movie or a puppet show and and we call it life it's the most amazing thing ever um so what i you know i've i hope that everyone else else you know comes to see it that way or find something else that makes them happy with their life um without having to lie to themselves that there's some kind of first causer who who pulls decisions out of nothing there's got to be a way so i think we have some ways some people um find their their meaning in their belief in god they're doing the will of god some people, well, they just feel at 
you know, at one with the universe, the and they're and they're doing the will of the universe, and so for them that appeals. I think that you and I are more that sort of people. Um, but any other ideas uh, that might help? Well, another thing. So let's. So basically, we ad we've addressed identity or self identity. I think let's go to what you mentioned before. In other words, like meaning. People feel that without free will, the life has you know no meaning. And I mean, like, that doesn't make sense um, for two very important points. One is that, fine, we don't have free will, but life is still amazing and awesome and very mysterious because we never know what's going to happen. You know, we might know that what happens you know, in the future is caused, but not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow and the next month and the next year, I think, keeps, keeps us very, very interested in, you know, uh, in our, our life and the other part relates to like for example many of us have seen the same movie like it's a wonderful life some people have seen that a dozen times and they know it's going to happen and they know that you know like they're not in control of anything that happens in that movie yet they enjoy that movie thoroughly so they can apply that same perspective to our lives and the lives of the people around them Yes, definitely. Um, and movies are, are a fine example because anybody who loves watching movies or plays or anything like that, they think, well, you know, they didn't, they didn't get any choice in, in what happens in that movie. It, you know, it was, it was made by a team of people working on that and it wasn't even up to those people either. And it gets very interesting, this movie of life, and I think it's totally enjoyable. And there's great funniness to be found, um, great joy um, to be seen in this whole um, completely deterministic, yet nonetheless very unpredictable life we live in. <laughs> Excellent. So, so there's another misconception people have about not having free will. A lot of people say, well... If I don't have a free will, that means I can't change, I can't grow, I can't become more or better or something. And that's actually, we have to explain to people, no, not having a free will means simply that it's not up to us fundamentally whether we change or not, or how much we change or how we change, but we still can change. You know, so the idea is, yes, we can still you know, um, seek goals, self-development goals, self-achievement goals, and fine, fundamentally, it's not up to us what these goals are and how well we succeed, but we still enjoy the process of working on the goal to, to become a better musician, to become a better student, a better worker, whatever. This stuff is still real and we still enjoy that. Yes, absolutely. Um... Yeah, I don't understand the claim that we can't change because everyone knows that we all change all the time, whether for better or worse, we change, you know. Um, and what's interesting is particularly just thinking how, um, how you know, life has changed over billions of years, how with natural selection, how, you know, certain things were better, you know, it was it was an advantage to run away from predators that are trying to eat you, you know, and yeah, I think I think they learned. I think I think our the all the animals have learned that when something's trying to kill you, run away. There's a there's a learned behavior, a change 
but I mean, it's still not fundamentally up to that animal um, that there was a predator chasing it and that it had, it had a need to not feel the pain of being eaten by a lion. You know, it's not up to them, but to, in order to maintain their life and happiness, they run away. That's a fine example of, of change, you know, change that's beneficial. <laughs> okay, excellent. Now let's go to fears people have, because a lot of people say, well, you know, if we abandon this belief in free will, people are going to think that, well, you know, if I don't have a free will, I can do whatever I want. And you can't blame me. You can't punish me. You can't hold me fundamentally morally responsible. So Chandler, how do we address those fears in people? Well, the, first of all, the thing is that on, on, on this, you know, this whole claim, that, oh, well, I can do whatever I want. Well, on, in a sense, that's almost true. There are certain things that people want to do that they will find they can't do. But even when they are able to successfully do what they want to do, it's true that even though nobody can hold them fundamentally responsible, they will still try to stop them. That doesn't change. It's not that when someone's attacking you that you're that you um just let them beat you up. You know, it's it's not like that happens, you know. People because they they want to be happy and and avoid pain, they will put a stop to harmful actions that they know will hurt and kill them or others that they care about. Exactly. Okay, and then the, the important point is like under free will, basically, when people do wrong, we want to correct their behavior, but we go a step further. We also want them punished. We want them to suffer. And actually, I just, there's an experiment where half of the subjects were primed to believe in free will, and the other half were primed to disbelieve in it. And the free will believers, then they were all asked the question, well, this person committed a certain crime. What should be their punishment? And like the free will believers would say something like, well, they believe to be, they, they deserve to be in prison for 20 years. The, the disbelief in free will um, half subjects actually have that sentence. Ordinarily, they were far more compassionate and understanding. In other words, they're basing, they were basing their their um, ideas about punishment on, well, what's necessary to rehabilitate or reform these people? What's necessary to, re to have a deterrence toward other people not doing the same thing? So it was reason-based instead of revenge and hate and, 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 and retribution-based. Yeah, and what's interesting is people's belief that people deserve punishment actually makes society worse in every possible way because the purpose of you know someone going to jail is not because they deserve it we know that they don't the purpose is so that 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 at least for a time um they cannot commit that same crime again um and and hopefully they won't be released if they're still in a state where we, we expect them to do the exact same thing. And so I think the, the entire criminal justice system totally has to be reformed. I mean, and it's, it's yeah, it's very problematic. Absolutely, and then like relative to your right, I mean, society really wants to protect society from certain individuals and their behavior. 
and like to the extent we believe in free will, we, we impose institutions and policies that work counter to that. For example, sometimes in, in certain prisons, they will give these prisoners an education. They will they'll allow them to like graduate high school. They'll teach them work skills and all so that when they come back into society, they don't have to resort to crime to, to, to have an income and all. But people who believe in free will often vote against those policies. They say to, to, you know, to themselves and they vote for politicians who say, well, we're not going to reward these, reward these criminals with a high school or a college education because they have a free will. They don't deserve this kind of treatment. In other words, look, if certain poor people can't afford to, you know, college education, it's wrong to educate, um, um, you know, prisoners in that way. So basically, the free will belief is working counter to what's in the best interests of not just the criminals, but of society in general. You're right, George, because... If it weren't for that free will belief, then people would not be thinking about, well, these criminals deserve to just suffer in um, solitary confinement and isolation and be and suffer and be punished, rather than having prison be a rehabilitation place, a place where they can get education, learn some skills, uh, work some kind of a job, you know, and eventually, um, if it, if it goes well you know, be released and we can know they're safe. I mean, I mean, seriously, yes, people vote against such ideas because they don't believe that that criminal deserves an education, deserves to um, get another another chance, you know. Um, so that's, that's a big problem. Okay, so now we've, we've been focusing on society, and it's important because they have – People have these sociological concerns. They want to be sure that as people, you know, disbelief in free, free will, basically our civilization will be preserved. But now let's focus on the, our individual personal lives. In other words, like when our friends do something wrong under the free will um, belief, yeah, we might want to understand them or be compassionate toward them or forgive them out of our sense of morality, but... You know, there's a part of us that says, well, you know, they did something wrong to me. So emotionally, we react to them with retribution. We, we, we you know, all of a sudden, like if, if some if our friend or, you know, someone we know did something wrong, we're kind of like hostily, emotionally attacking them based on the free will belief. So, so explain how, like, as we shift as individuals from this free will belief to the understanding that absolutely nobody has any fundamental control over what we do, our personal relationships will be enhanced in these situations where we'd otherwise blame each other. Yes. Um, see, it hurts each person individually, too, because what happens is they're holding grudges and they're unable to forgive these people for ways that they've hurt them um, because they believe that these people chose to do it. It's very interesting, you know. They chose to do it of their of their free will or whatever, and so they they stay angry at them, and they're like, "Well, why should I forgive them? They deserve for me to punish them." And you know, and that that feeling that somebody deserves punishment, and that they've wronged you, and so an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, they hurt me, so I'm going to hurt them. That attitude leads to all sorts of crimes, and what 
is different under this no free will perspective is it's not just so much that it's the compassionate and rational thing to forgive, but there's actually nothing to forgive in the first place. Because what you what we understand is that these person these people they did not choose to be what they are, and so it it's sort of like you know but you know some people might find it helpful to use that word forgiveness. Um, it doesn't mean that if somebody is is still harmful and you can't restore a relationship with them that you have to keep that you have to keep staying around them. You you may want to separate yourself from these these people, but you will no longer be hurt. Um just being angry at them and how badly that they mistreated you, even for stuff that happened years ago. So it helps people individually. Even if it doesn't change anything else, they don't have that extra edge of anger and rage that just poisons them. Chandler, you made some excellent points. Let's start out with like, essentially, you know, first of all, there's nothing to forgive. In other words, like if somebody implanted an electrode in my brain or something, some scientist and made me do something wrong, you know, somebody who knew about it and saw it and understood it, they couldn't, they would not blame me. So then basically if I did something wrong, they wouldn't have to forgive me, give me, because like, again, like, you know, it would be the, the cause of the, whoever did it or the, you know, the electrode and all. So, but that's the first part. The second part is that like under the free will paradigm, yes, we are blameworthy and we forgive, but we forgive out of goodness. In other words, like it's forgiveness is the moral thing to do, you know, Whereas like to the extent that we understand we don't have a free will and others don't have a free will, all of a sudden not blaming them becomes the rational thing to do. In other words, we don't have to rely on morality. We, we have to, we rely on something that's more fundamental to us, reason. It, it becomes, you know, completely illogical to blame them. Yes. It, it gets very interesting because you find there's no one that you can actually blame. It's it's interesting because though just like with the electrode in the brain or somebody spiking somebody's drink and they do something crazy, we understand that bad ideas, bad experiences, bad teachings, you know, whether whether that was something that happened a year ago or whether it was something that happened long ago in their childhood that made them think in a certain way and act in a certain way, we understand that they're no more in control in that situation than when someone is drugged or has some device implanted in their head that controls them. And for a lot of people, it's hard to understand that. It's hard for them to really get that, that people, even those who have hurt you, they too are victims themselves. And rather than blaming them, what it does to me is it's like, well, how can I help this person? How can I help them for, you know, about what happened to them that turned them into this in doing this? Um, so I think what happens, part of what's great about it is it gets you away from feeling how badly you were mistreated and what, what, a, what a sad thing you are. And then you start caring about this other person, too. And for a lot of people, that's hard. It's, it's very hard. 
Absolutely. And Chandler, so like we've just been addressing how it improves how we react to other people for their benefit as well as ours. Now, I have two basic um, areas of focus right now in my work. One is like this, you know, exposing this illusion of free will. The second is human happiness. I was just leading a, a meetup on happiness earlier today. You know, I lead a lot of groups on happiness every month, about 10 of them. And so like the idea is like what they've discovered in happiness research is that self-esteem is a very, very important personality trait to have in order to be happy. But see, with the free will belief, what happens is like other people do things wrong. We blame them and we think less of them. But when we do wrong, then we turn that blame toward ourselves and we 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 actually, you know, we punish ourselves and our self-esteem diminishes. So, again, like to the extent that we overcome the belief in free will, when we find that the universe or God or however we want to describe it has made us do something wrong, fine, we'll say to ourselves, yeah, it's unfortunate that that happened. And hopefully we'll be compelled by the universe to 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 vow to to try to correct ourselves to be better in the future. But we won't blame ourselves. We won't hold ourselves fundamentally responsible for our own wrongdoing. And as a result, our self-esteem and self-identity will be preserved. We'll think good of ourselves. Yes, it, it helps such an amazing amount because in people's um, quest about forgiving people, um, they don't want to forget forgiving themselves and not blame themselves for their past mistakes too. I, I think that's I think that's better than anything else because you know um, people you know who believe in free will now with other people you know they separate for, they can at least separate themselves from that that person so they don't have to think about them sometimes so some but you can't escape yourself until you're dead so how people, their self-esteem, how they view themselves is perhaps even more important because there's no escape from that. And so by, re, by removing the blame and guilt that people feel over their, their mistakes and bad things that they've done, that's the best of all the benefits of overcoming the illusion of free will. Okay, yeah, and we've only got about, I guess, about three minutes left. So let's go through another one. In other words, like a lot of times we want to feel close to the people in our lives. But let's say like there's two siblings or two close friends and one friend goes on to, let's say, go to medical school, becomes a doctor, makes a lot of money. The other person, you know, just like has a, a, a job with much less prestige and all. So this person who became a doctor, who became very successful, will tend to feel arrogant. You know, will tend to feel that this, that they're better than the person, you know, who, who did less, you know, who, who's maybe a teacher or something. And then the teacher will in turn feel maybe like kind of like resentful or envious or just wrongly kind of like look up to, to this doctor in a way that like the, the, the doctor, the, the very educated, successful person is for some reason more worthy, is, is more valuable. I mean, certainly some, some professions are more valuable than others to society and all, but that that person has more inherent worth 
than, than somebody is a teacher. So basically, these are two free will based conclusions. So how would you, how do you um, propose that like overcoming the, the illusion of free will helps in these cases? Well, what's so awesome about it, George, is that it helps you feel equal with everybody. It helps you um, feel that you're not some separate other from other people. And so now obviously it's better for people who, you know, feel like, oh, no, all these other people are better than me and I'm just this lowly wretch, you know, or something like that, you know. So, so for people like that, the feeling that they're just the same as everybody else, well, that sort of raises them to a level of equality with people. I think the people who it's difficult for, though, are the successful, the the wealthy, you know, those people who – want to take credit for what they do the what happens is their arrogance which it requires the belief in free will they don't want to realize that basically they were just lucky in their success that they happened to that better education maybe they were born smarter you know they and and even their it that their achievements aren't up to them and so it's a big blow to their pride and it, that's why it's hard for those people to overcome it. But for the rest of us who feel like other people are better than us, it's wonderful. So we just have to figure out how to deal with the issue of the people who it's hard for them to accept that they can't take credit for their success. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess we'll have to continue it in more episodes as always because it just never ends. The, we know about the infinite regress, but I call this the infinite progress. <laughs> okay, I guess we're out of time. So you've been listening to Free Will, Science, and Religion with Chandler Klebs and George Ortega. And I guess you'll hear from us again in more episodes. Bye for now.